It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Join Andy Schneider, national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, happy Thursday to all you awesome listeners out there in Blog Talk Radio land. It is Andy Schneider, also known as the Chicken Whisperer, here for another great episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. we got a great show lined up for you today. We have the negative effects of ammonia, and our special guest will be, of course, uh, poultry veterinarian, and epidemiologist, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis in California. And uh, again, make sure uh, this show will be archived for your listening pleasure. So if you happen to miss something or want to hear it again or share it with others, uh, probably 10 or 15 minutes after the end of the live show, it will be archived into a, I guess, a podcast for uh, for you to share. Um, uh, just a couple of real quick announcements because, uh, of course, it is the season, and then we'll get right into our show. But first things first, I wanted to remind everybody about a great upcoming event uh, in February of 2020, and that would happen to be Cooptastic 2020. Are you one of the many Americans that keep backyard poultry? Do you want to give your birds the best care possible? The Chicken Whisperers Cooptastic 2020 Conference will teach you how, plus more, too. Cooptastic will be February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, 2020 at the beautiful Alabama 4-H Conference Center near Birmingham, Alabama. Educational programs by poultry scientists, veterinarians, and nutritionists, plus fun activities give you an unforgettable experience. Conference packages are available from just for a day to the full experience with meals, entertainment, and lodging. The all-inclusive package is an amazing value at around $300. 
On-site lodging is limited, so reserve your spot as soon as possible. Visit www.chickenwhisperer.com today for more details. Already how cool is that? We have a ton of vendors and a ton of sponsors for this event. A more direct uh, website or a link would be cooptastic2020.com. That's cooptastic2020.com. So uh, go check it out and look what it's just amazing deal, all inclusive, and come out and have a lot of fun and uh, a lot of learning. That's cooptastic2020. February, I believe it's 21st, 22nd. And the 23rd. If you missed last week's show, I do encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, my guest was poultry scientist Dr. McCray uh, at Auburn University, and she was talking all about molting 101. And she, we, we, we did a lot of well, she did a, a really good job of, uh, um, I guess, myth busting, dispelling a lot of myths out there about molting and all this extra stuff you have to give your chickens and the, the extra mealworms and the Lord, the, the cat food people are throwing at their chickens because it's they're molting, and so it's a great episode. You can go find it in the archives. It was just last week, and uh, molting 101. You'll learn all about molting, what molting is, the, the the kind of the order that your flock would molt based on your really good layers and your not so good layers, and and and, and then of course the time frame of the molt, and then kind of what to do about the molt, if anything. Since we know chickens have been molting for thousands of years without human intervention, and they've been doing that successfully, but it was a great show, so go turn in um, to that show uh, we did last week if you are interested. Let's get on with today's show, The Negative Effects of Ammonia. I'll head over here to the switchboard, and we will bring on our good friend, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice uh, Pateski. Welcome, Maurice. Thank you very much for joining us today. Great. Good to be here again, Andy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I don't think we've ever dedicated a show over the last decade of just the negative effects of ammonia. It comes up in shows where we're, whether we're talking about um, good husbandry practices or, uh, I guess, I don't know, foot pad dermatitis and, and a lot of foot pad issues and, and um, you know, the rumor, rumors of, you know, oh, my chickens, uh, they got vision problems or going blind because of the ammonia or how much ammonia is too much ammonia and how do I really know? Um, and then what are some other negative effects? We, we normally think just of a couple, the foot pad issues, uh, and then, of course, going blind. And I'm sure them inhaling this ammonia uh, from, say, the bedding in their coop can't be good for respiratory issues, too. But mostly it's the foot issues and the eye issues we hear about. But um, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can educate us all on, you know, the ammonia kind of, I guess, you know, coming from their waste and getting in that bedding and ventilation and how important is that. But... I think at the end of the day, I share with folks um, that if you walk in a coop and you can smell that ammonia at five or six feet high off the bedding, then you've got a real issue because you really, to test this out, probably want to get on your hands and knees or get down there 12 inches above the bedding to see exactly what the birds are experiencing. But I'm sure you'll tell us all about that in this uh, in this podcast. So thanks for joining us, and I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend. Great. Well, again, it's great to be here, and it is an important topic, um, and it's a year-round topic, um, but um, it's more of a uh, fall and winter 
um, kind of issue, at least in my experience, working with uh, commercial producers. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely a relevant thing to, to chat about. And, um, you know, it does kind of speak to some of the larger issues on air quality and ventilation. And uh, even, you know, going back just straight to the beginning on getting chicks off to a good start, uh, if you don't have good ventilation, if you've got ammonia issues, um, it will not just affect, um, you know, some of the hawk burns and the foot pad dermatitis and breast blister type issues um, and, and the eyes, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, it, it'll affect your, the bird's productivity, their morbidity, which is basically, um, you know, whether they get sick or not. So they're, the, if, if you have high ammonia levels, it kind of makes sense that you're going to have a lot of secondary issues and you're more likely to get infections, uh, more likely to not be as productive, more likely to have your, your birds get off to a poor start and be more susceptible to other diseases. So it, it's something that's really, really, really important to think about. And um, I think to your point, it's something that probably doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And I think in part it's, it's because you can't really see bad ventilation. Um, it, it's not one of those things you really see, and I think it's one of those things that can kind of creep up on you pretty quickly, especially during kind of the rainy season, um, because I think we all, you know, as we enter fall and winter, we all want to hibernate a little more. We all want to stay inside a little more. We don't maybe want to go into our coops as much and, and do that kind of spring cleaning in the winter when it's just as necessary to do as it is in, in the spring. So it is one of those things that's kind of a, a silent thing that we don't really see um, for all kinds of reasons. You know, you can pick, pick whichever guess, the ones we just described. And I guess to segue, you know, you're explaining us as the caretakers of the flock uh, not wanting to get out and mess with it, whether it be raining or just it's cold and windy. It's wintertime, um, and they'll be okay. They've got food and water, but also I guess the chickens that may in some cases – uh, spend more time in the coop of the run because as owners they'll think oh, it's too cold to let them out or they'll be fine it's too windy or there's two feet of snow we'll just let them stay in that coop and they may be in the coop uh longer periods of time than other parts or in other times of the year yeah absolutely i mean there, there's a lot of stuff that's probably going on as we enter the fall and winter and and to think that we're the only you know i think that we're the only animals that that kind of hibernate a little more of the two is probably a little naive also so that's a that's a that's a good point i hadn't really considered um that they're probably spending a little more time also um uh, indoors and you know the, the large commercial facilities to their credit are really well set up to um facilitate um ventilation um, and they've got some like exquisitely, you know, designed systems that allow that allow you know laminar flow, and the and the ventilation is above the the height of the birds, and you can exchange air really well. Um, those systems, when they're working properly, are really effective, um, and are only getting better and better and better. And, and and there's, you know, that used to be the the main limitation to the size of a commercial poultry facility. So like, what can you can you ventilate it if you make it, you know, longer and longer and bigger and bigger? And um, people are getting better and better at that. There's a lot of good engineering that, that goes into that, a lot of design that goes into that. But for smaller flocks, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that is much more challenging is we don't really have the same ventilation systems. Um, we definitely don't have the same sensors and detectors. So the, the modern poultry houses, for example, will have ventilation, will have ammonia sensors. And those are great to have, but, you know, even when I look at, you know, data for farms and I, I see what the ammonia levels are, you still want to fact check it. And, and, you know, for the backyard and small producer, that just means, you know, spending some time, as you kind of alluded to earlier, which I thought was really important, is spending some time in the coop 
Um, but also, when it comes to ammonia and all kinds of other things, getting at the level of the birds is, is a really important thing. Um, so a lot, the environment of a coop is a lot different, you know, when you're, you know, five feet up in the air, six feet up in the air versus when you're, you know, eight inches off the ground. So it's really important to make sure that the air quality, you can kind of just assess that. And we all obviously have noses. So when it comes to ammonia, we're actually very good as humans at, um, detecting ammonia so um you know the the if you look in the literature humans we can we can look and sense not look we can sense ammonia and smell it and it becomes irritating to us at about 20 parts per million um and um that's really good but but if you want to um unfortunately at some levels below that the damage is already being done so if you have ammonia levels, for example, at five parts per million, which is going to be undetectable to, to humans, um, that can start irritating, especially chicks, their respiratory systems. Um, and that's why it's so important to be um, aware because the chicks, any kind of problem that you have in um, birds, it gets uh, really magnified by a magnitude of 10 if you have those problems in chicks. So it is so important to get your birds off to a good start as chicks that if you have any kind of air quality issues, um, that can have significant effects on all kinds of different um, aspects of production and disease. So we said the human nose about 20 parts per million, but, but you can start, especially in chicks, um, detecting problems at about five parts per million. Um, are you still there? I'm sorry. Hello? I'm still here. You oh. can hear me okay? Oh, yep. Just making sure. Sorry. Um, so we said um, we can start detecting problems um, if we have a, literally a level of five parts per million. Um, but as you get into that 20 to 25 range, that's when you start having some pretty significant problems. Um, the birds are not as efficient, so they, they take some more food to make their eggs and their meat. Um, that You start having higher levels of all kinds of interesting diseases, including air sacculitis, which is just an infection of their air sacs, like the bird's version or the additional version of their, their – it's, it's an additional component of their lungs um, that was one of the things that make them very efficient at uh, gas exchange. Um, they're also more susceptible to viral infections. So uh, as a veterinarian, things like um, respiratory diseases like infectious bronchitis, um, infectious laryngeotracheitis, those are viral respiratory disease, diseases, but you also have bacterial respiratory diseases like E. coli and mycoplasma. And there is a lot of literature that suggests that um, the ammonia levels, as they rise, your, your bird's immune system gets compromised, they get more stressed. Um, all those things um, lead to the kind of uh, unintended kind of consequences that we just talked about. And I think most importantly, I'm, I'm talking to more and more backyarders that are interested in, in processing their birds for meat, um, either their layers that they want to process later on for meat. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting when you, when you process your, your layer bird, especially because these are older birds, sometimes two, three, four, five years old, um, people are seeing all kinds of interesting things when they are processing the birds. And in the commercial world, we have a lot more condemnations when we have ammonia issues. And the condemnations are birds that are, you know, when they're going down uh, at the processing facility um, after they've been slaughtered, um, you have you have inspectors that are actually looking at those carcasses, and if there's any sign of infection in those carcasses, carcasses those birds will be condemned. And I'm getting more and more um, 
emails and phone calls, excuse me, from folks that um, are seeing all kinds of interesting things in their lungs, in their air sacs, in their gut. And, and it's really, you know, you have some interesting conversations with people about like, well, what could that have been from? Um, and especially in older birds, um, you know, it, it's almost like looking at um, kind of like a history of their of their last two or three, four or five years of life, because you can start you know, trying to connect the dots to all kinds of issues, including air quality, which um, I think, is, as we mentioned, is, 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 is a significant issue. As we kind of move up, so we talked about the human nose can detect about 20 parts per million, but you can start seeing problems, especially in chicks, at five parts per million. But if we really turn up the ammonia level, levels, excuse me, to, to 50 or 100 parts per million, and this is where it's really offensive. Your eyes will kind of burn a little. Um, you'll tear a little. Um, prolonged exposure to that is, 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 especially in the winter months, is not as uncommon, I think, as we, as we probably think it is. Um, in part just because the birds are indoors a little more, we're indoors a little more, we're not doing probably as much outdoors as we should be. And this is when you really start having some problems with what we call corneal ulcers and blindness. So the cornea is that um, very, very thin uh, tissue that um, um, is the outer layer of, of, of our eyes and a bird's eyes, and those corneal ulcers um, can, can lead to infection. So if you have an ulceration of that corneal tissue, um, you're literally just having a cut there. Um, and those cells now are, are damaged and they're not offering the same protection uh, to the rest of the eye, to all the structures behind it. And that can lead to blindness and infections and things like that. So you will see, um, you know, at a, at a flock level, um, you'll see kind of these corneal ulcers. You'll see a lot of tearing um, and you'll see um, some of the kind of common signs of blindness in birds as they're exposed to those levels. And it doesn't take long. Um, you know, there's not a lot of literature on all the different breeds and how long it takes, but it doesn't take long for them to get um, some of those effects. Would that, what you see in a quote-unquote typical situation backyard, uh, since we're talking about it today, or even in the, in the commercial barns, um, would you, wh which would you probably see first if you started to have an ammonia issue? Would you see some foot pad issues because that that's maybe have started sooner before the gas started coming up to eye level? Would you see the eye issues first? What what normally presents itself first, the eye uh, effects or maybe the foot and hawk effects? Yeah, and I, I think I'm going to throw back the question at you, and I think it's going to uh -huh. depend. And, and unfortunately, that's sure. just the reality of, of, of how a lot of this stuff works. So if, um, they, um, if you have high ammonia levels, um, so let's say, let, let's say a lot of people don't use uh, rice hulls or they don't use uh, chopped up um, um, straw as a, as a substrate, or excuse me, or wood shavings as a substrate um, for the birds to walk on. So when you think about how ammonia forms, um, it's usually formed in the litter by bacterial breakdown of the manure, um, and those ammonia concentrations can be affected by oh, moisture, um, high temperatures, overcrowding, poor ventilation. So if we're following that kind of traditional approach, you're probably going to see the contact dermatitis first. Um, and that's now, the, that that's the – sorry, go on. No, no. I interrupted you, and, and I just no, lost track fine. of my mind. But um, no, you finish up because then I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. I hate when that happens. Um, <laughs> so that that litter quality, and we've talked about litter quality before, but that litter quality is really important because you will have breast 
breast blisters and hock lesions and hock burns and, and contact dermatitis from that um, contact with that litter that has a high level of ammonia in it. And that litter then should kind of off-gas um, ammonia gas. And then that will typically secondarily um, produce these corneal ulcers. Um, so typically you'll see the foot pad issues before you'll see the corneal issues. But the foot pad issues are, are subtle, so there's all these scales. So if you look at like um, a commercial yeah. poultry producer, they'll look at the, the foot pads and they'll judge them on a scale of one to five, five being mm-hmm. worst. Um, sometimes for some people, that those can be a little more challenging to, to grade and to visualize. Um, and the, for some reason, the, the, I've, I've had more people call me recently on the corneal issue than on the foot pad issue. And, and that just might be something that they're seeing first for some reason because they're just not looking at the, at the feet of their birds. Um, but it is an interesting question. And I would expect, to, to your point, all things being equal, the, the, the mm-hmm. breast blisters, the hawk burns, and the contact dermatitis mm-hmm. to happen first. Um, and I remember my question is the ammonia. We talk about it being in their manure and, and their waste, but is it is it more urites that that are actually they're expelling versus everything else? Is that where most of it's concentrated and coming from? Are the urites uh, in that chicken poop, or is it just across the board and all the um, material in their um, fecal matter? It's just from the it's the nit it's the nitrogen in their um in their in their feces and that nitrogen goes through I think it goes from like nitrate to nitrite and then it gets like reduced to ammonia I'm probably not remembering the actual cycle exactly but um, there is kind of a process there and it, it depends on how much oxygen or how anaerobic how little oxygen is in the environment and that's kind of what dictates among other things how much um, ammonia will form or not form. I think in a perfect world, you want it to form nitrous oxide. Um, so nitrous oxide is the gas, and that's um, not uh, harmful in the same way that ammonia is. But it, it can go to, it can convert itself to ammonia if you don't have enough ventilation, you don't have enough air in there. And okay. um, that's where we really start talking about, you know, kind of going back to this whole litter management issue. If, if your litter is, um, is not properly... Um, cared for, if you have too much moisture in there, if you have too many birds per cubic meter of litter or cubic foot of litter, so you just hide too much density in there, um, you can you can start having more ammonia problems because that litter is not is not sufficient or you have too many birds for the amount of litter that you have. So, you know, litter is really, really important. Um, we have litter as a way to kind of absorb all the off smells, including ammonia, that the birds are producing from their fecal material. And the birds have to do their job. The birds will typically kind of rototill the litter itself just by their natural right. behavior. They'll, they'll, they'll do all the work for you. So if you have enough litter there, you, you literally don't need to. I've, I've had people, you know, people are, 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 are sometimes treat their their birds almost too well and i've had people that will go into the litter and they'll just fish out basically all the poop in that and i actually don't like that um if, if the litter is doing its job and the birds are doing their job of mixing the the feces in the litter then you shouldn't have to do anything to your litter at all um aside from if it is like there's a rainstorm and water gets into your coop and gets the litter all wet now you're the, the bacteria that are producing those ammonia now those bacteria are proliferating and they're producing even more ammonia they're 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 growing and dividing growing and dividing growing and dividing 
and these are the bacteria that basically poop out ammonia uh, gas, and, and they would exacerbate that problem. So the general point is you have to take really, really good care of your litter um, mm -hmm. in order to reduce ammonia. Um, you need to have really good ventilation also. And then when you're thinking about, you know, kind of litter management, it's really important, especially in the rainy times of the year, to make sure you're not having too much moisture in there. Because you might say during the summer, like, okay, I've got six inches or eight inches or ten inches of litter, and that's a nice uh, thickness of, of litter, so it allows the birds to kind of rototill that litter material and, and, and kind of compost it, basically. Um, but if you if you don't if but if you have a huge rainstorm or you have a hole in your in your coop and water's getting in there, now the bacteria that are producing those ammonia are proliferating and and it's it's it, you've changed the equation now. And in that scenario, my recommendation is to get rid of any waterlogged litter and to replace mm -hmm. it with um, brand new litter. And I'm from California, so when we live in we're, we're in Davis, which is in kind of the northern part of the state, right near a lot of rice farms. So rice holes are really easy for us to get over here. Um, right. Wood shavings are another great source but you want uh, uh, of litter material, but you want something that's absorbent. So usually right. we recommend against straw because straw um, doesn't really absorb the fecal material and doesn't really um, um, allow that fecal material to be decomposed as efficiently as some of these other um, substrates. Yep. I've also heard with straw that because it's straw-like and, and hollow, that bacteria can then build up within the straw because it's like a straw, that hollow inside. I've heard, I've heard folks talk about that hmm. possibility using with straw. Um, uh, two, two more questions. I, I sometimes jump the gun, especially when we're talking about a fascinating subject. And I just tried to Google this, of course, to see if I could find a quick answer. Um, but obviously, from what I just Googled, it looks like ammonia can be in a liquid form and gas form and, and like uh, other things. But I wondered if you knew, and if you don't, it's quite all right. Um, um, probably not a, a gas expert, but but that when, when, when the ammonia from that litter, say in, in the chicken house, chicken coop, does that gas seem to concentrate lower and along the floor like some gases we know just kind of like to linger lower and stay low and then some just maybe you go up into the atmosphere a lot easier and faster do you know if ammonia what if they have a trait to try, try to, to stay low or does it kind of um, like maybe another gas seem to just go everywhere and dissipate go up into the atmosphere and whatnot I was just curious about that being you know when we talk about the chicks and chickens being so close to the ground if it's one of those that kind of the gas that congregates and doesn't move a lot and likes to stay low how much you know worse no, that that's so that's a great question. So, and I, I I know a little about this, but not a ton. And if I had to guess, I would say it it does um, not move off the ground because it's a, nitrogen is a little heavier than carbon, um, okay. and it's um, um, it can be um, or or N N four, which is what ammonia is, N three and N four. Um, are 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 a little heavier than oxygen, or not? No, they're not heavier than oxygen, but they're they're definitely heavier than some of the the hydrogen gases, for example, or helium. So helium, for example, it, it's really hard to to basically mine helium because helium, if you, if you don't bottle it up, it's just going to go up off up into the upper atmosphere. Um, ammonia, I wouldn't expect it to do that same thing. I would expect it to kind of, um, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of hang out in, in, in our kind of um, in the lower 
um, um, atmosphere more than I would expect other gases to, for example. But that's a relevant question, and you can, you know, when you when you think about even the commercial facilities, where you put your ammonia detector is really important. You need to put it at the level of the birds, um, or else you're detecting ammonia at a, at, a, at, a, at a at a point at a point that's not really relevant. Gotcha. You just gave me a great idea. You were talking about mining. Was it helium? I think you were talking mm -hmm. about mining. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. I don't know. I just cracks me up. I think I've got a great project for my eight-year-old son. I'm going to give him a shovel, and I'm going to tell him to go in the backyard and 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 start digging and mine for helium and see what and then, and then bottle it up if he finds it. That'll keep him busy for hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get out there and find some helium. Um, my next question, and again, you probably would cover this, uh, and it may just be a yes or no, and then we've covered it and we move on. But and I know the research has probably been done, especially at the uh, commercial level. Um, how much can us as farmers control this ammonia issue with diet, like a particular feed? Like we know that if this more of this will create less ammonia, or, more, or is it even significant? Have, have we figured out that you no, know, we really can't control it, no matter how we mess around with the feed? Or yes, we can develop this feed to help reduce the ammonia in in the in the waste so i and this is a challenging topic because um <laughs> in the commercial world feed is the most expensive operating cost you have right so we we the the data if you talk to most farmers and, and you look at you know most ag economists when they pencil out how much feed costs for a a broiler flock or a layer flock it's usually you know 60 70 75 percent of their operating costs and what's the most expensive part of the feed? It's the protein. And what's protein made of? Protein's made of nitrogen. And so if you feed too much nitrogen, what happens to your to to any animal is they basically poop it out. So what you want to do when you talk to, you know, broiler and layer nutritionists and dairy nutritionists and beef nutritionists is that what they're trying to do is basically optimize the amount of nitrogen they're giving. So in animals that are young, you usually have a very high protein diet. And then as they get older, you reduce the, the protein and increase the energy, especially in layer breeds, for example. Um, and the goal is to, is to not waste money on nitrogen. So you don't want to have nitrogen that, that they're eating and then pooping out because they're not utilizing it. Yeah. And there's a gazillion reasons why they might not utilize it. So it's not just the amount of protein, but is it digestible and all these other types of things that nutritionists are really clever at. So to answer your question, in the commercial world, absolutely. Like they can kind of mix and match um, and make sure that your ins and outs are kind of, you know, mass balancing out. But in the non-commercial world, we, we don't, you know, we don't have, we only have one layer ration and one grower ration for, for if, if, if you have layers or broilers. So we end up, wasting a lot of nitrogen and in the in the backyard world or in the very small commercial world you don't have that kind of flexibility to really optimize the amount of nitrogen so those birds are definitely pooping out more nitrogen than they probably should be as they get older because you're giving them a high nitrogen diet when they're let's say you know still when they're still pullets they're not layers yet but you haven't really optimized the amount of nitrogen they get so it's a, it's a really good question I think, unfortunately, from a practical perspective, we don't have the, you know, for broilers, you're talking about four or five different types of rations that they'll get in their lifetime, and for layers, you know, something something similar to that, depending on the farm. So we don't, for, for 
layers and broilers in the backyard and small world or in small commercial world, we're usually talking about two different rations, you know, a, a chick ration um, slash pullet ration and then a layer or uh, finisher type ration if we're dealing with broilers. So there's okay. a lot of excess nitrogen that gets wasted there to, to, your, to your point, but it's a really good question. Cool. Hey, let me go to commercial break. It's a half past the hour, and uh, we'll go ahead and do that, and then we come back. I'll stop asking questions, but it never fails. We have a really fascinating topic. I uh, The questions just start popping up in my head, and I'm like, uh, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole here or there, but um, I try to keep them pertinent and, uh, and, and, and hope sometimes they're a yes or no, and then sometimes they are, uh, would warrant another show. But thanks for, for – um, answering those uh, for me as they pop into my head folks we are talking with there we go <laughs> we're talking with poultry veterinarian dr maurice Pateski from uc davis our topic today the negative effects of uh, ammonia and we just are really scratching the surface so i've got to go to commercial break and when we return there'll be much much more uh for us to enjoy to learn about the negative effects of ammonia stay with us we'll be right back when you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks, 
Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, I've got a, a special announcement for uh, for everybody. I may have hinted uh, to this last week on the episode, but I actually have it in my hands right now as we speak, this brand new product. Um, well, actually, it's a continuation of a new product that's been out now for about nine uh, months. But uh, everybody who listens to the show and have watched my live videos, y'all are familiar with the product called Chick Fresh. Um, and when they released that, it came in a 24-ounce spray bottle. And when we got it here at the farm to use, before it even became public, um, you saw me use it black label. And um, uh, where I was kind of skeptical, you could see that in, in my face and in my voice when we when we got it shipped to us and we started using it. And uh, but but you saw all of that change as we continued to use it here on the farm. And now it's actually become a staple here uh, where we have it hanging in our, in, our, in our multiple coops. We have it actually under our kitchen sink where I spray the um cat litter box and where I'm going to spray our, our kitchen garbage can with it. I've sprayed my nasty farm truck with it the, 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 along the floorboard and whatnot because there's like a bazillion uses for this. But the exciting news is, those of you who are already fans, you, you, you don't need me to tell you how awesome and well the product works because you've already experienced that. So um, if you're familiar with the product, definitely you want to check it out. That would be a start. But those of you who are, are already using this and have seen the benefits of Chick Fresh, they just came out with, it just hit Amazon this week, Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray Concentrated. So let me tell you, those of you who are already using this product and already love it, and it is a now staple at your farm or homestead, um, you're used to paying about – $12 for a 24-ounce spray bottle, which should last for the average backyard keeper about a month, uh, 10 to 15 sprays each day, uh, and that's going to get you through about uh, a month's time for the um, $12 a bottle. And then you next then it runs out, and you go and buy another bottle for $12. Maybe you even went to Amazon and bought that two-bottle special where you save about 4 bucks when you buy two at a time. But now it's actually in a concentrated little bottle. It's four fluid ounces. And here's the cool part. You ready for this? It actually makes um, five of those 24-ounce bottles. So if you're used to already using Chick Fresh, that 24-ounce bottle, this little four-ounce concentrate will make five of those 24-ounce bottles. And and you ready for this? This this concentrate, I believe, is only 24.95 right now. 24.95. So that brings the cost of that bottle. For those of you who are already using this and using it and loving it, and paying $12 a bottle. Save those bottles. Use the concentrate. It brings the cost down to under $5 a bottle. I think it comes out literally to $4.99 a bottle if you use the concentrate, so not 12 So how cool is that, that this company was selling you an awesome product for 12 bucks a bottle, but they're willing now to put this in a concentrate for you where you can continue to use it at $4.99 a bottle. But it's an odor control spray. It's, it's 
definitely relative to what we're talking about today uh, with the negative effects of ammonia. It's absolutely all natural, um, and it is it is amazing. It, we went from really being um, kind of skeptical when we started using this over a year ago to now we have it all over the farm, and and you will too. So check out. Don't take my word for it. Go to Amazon. Check out the reviews. Type in Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray. Also. They've got right now a 20% off, so now it's down to like $4 a bottle instead of $4.99 at chickfresh.com. Uh, so I just wanted to share that with you because it is related to, again, today's show, the negative effects of ammonia with uh, our good friend, Dr. Pateski. Also, the fact that this just came out this week, uh, which is fantastic news for everybody that's already using it. And those of you who have, I want to try it, but, you know, $12 a bottle is $12 a bottle. Now we're under 5 bucks a bottle. Um, and it is a fabulous deal. Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray. Check them out on Amazon or go to chickfresh.com if you want that 20% off special right now. 20% off at chickfresh.com. Let's get back to our show, The Negative Effects of Ammonia. And we're talking with poultry veterinarian uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to try to, uh, if I have questions, write them down and kind of towards the end so you can move on with your outline there um, because I'm bad about forgetting things. So I'll just kind of write these down if I have them and we'll cover them at the end. So uh, I'll let you continue for us. Thanks so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the same way, Andy. So I, I completely appreciate that. Feel, feel free to ask questions during. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. If, if you get the inspiration and you get excited, I, I do the same thing. So. I'd be hypocritical okay. if I got mad about it. Um, so I did, I did some math during the break. And so oxygen is, uh, has a molecular weight. If we all remember back to our, like, you know, high school chemistry class of 16 and ammonia has got a molecular weight of 17. So they're about the same molecular weight. Carbon dioxide is a little heavier, uh, cause it's got two oxygens in it. But my point is, um, is that it will hang out kind of at our, at, at a lower level. It's not going to be like helium or hydrogen gas and just go straight into the upper atmosphere. Um, so that's really, I, I just wanted to point that out, that it's not, it, 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 it can get absorbed into clouds and things like that. I was reading during the break about all the different places they find ammonia on our planet, um, but it is heavier. So, you know, like I said, things like hydrogen and helium are, are notorious for being hard to to capture and to mine because um, they will escape on you. And actually, just on one quick side note, because I love non sequiturs, um, spacesuits, they, um, they pump helium through them to do leak checks um, because the helium will escape. It will. It, it tries to escape the, the fastest of any gas, like helium and hydrogen. So helium is really used in in the uh, in the space industry, and among other things, just to do leak checks on all kinds of different equipment, including spacesuits. So, just cool. a quick tidbit of information there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a couple things I wanted to point out. So we did talk a little about you know what the corneal ulcers will kind of look like. Um, but I wanted to also describe what the what the foot pad dermatitis looks like because that is also a common thing to see. And um, I think that the point that I wanted to make is that when you are looking, let's say you don't smell ammonia and you're like, oh, I've never had an ammonia issue. Well, you don't really know that, obviously, until you, you, you make a, a true assessment of the entire coop. It's not just about getting down to the bird's level and, you know, taking a sniff and saying, well, it must be below 20 parts per million. You know, the, the, the proof is really in how are the birds doing. And um, one of the best ways to assess how the birds are doing is, is kind of assessing their feet and looking at their foot pads. Um, so you, do, you will see 
um, these either small lesions or cuts on the bottom of their feet, or you'll see what we call hyperkeratosis, which is just, excuse me, the thickening of um, their feet and their foot pads. Um, and you can also see um, what are called breast blisters, and those are just these smaller, um, right at their kind of keel bone, right at their breastbone, um, you'll see um, little ulcers or blisters where the, the feathers will actually almost be all rubbed off, and you'll see almost what looks like a little scab over there. And it's important to know that, that when they get these, um, you know, contact burns from the ammonia, the high concentrations of ammonia, because ammonia can be a liquid or it could be a gas, so, um, and it can off-gas from that liquid. Um, but as they have that contact with that litter material that has higher concentrations of ammonia in it, that's when they'll get that, um, those breast blisters, that thickening of the skin around their feet, those little lesions in their feet. And that can cause all kinds of other problems. They're not going to be as comfortable on perches um, if you guys use perches, which are really important from a welfare and behavior perspective. Um, and it's also, um, you know, it can contribute to, they can get bacterial infections. Um, so all the, all the feet issues with, with birds, that, that's part of kind of that complex and, and trying to figure out um, how they're getting those problems is, is really important. Is it related to the, um, is it related to the, um, to the environment? Is it related to um, the, 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 the nesting bar it has slivers in it, and that's how they're getting bumblefoot, for example. So bumblefoot, if, if you guys remember, is this kind of infection of the, of, the, of the feet. And that infection can happen secondarily to high ammonia concentrations, which are causing these um, foot pad lesions, which are then leading to bumblefoot. So um, that's why it's really important when you do talk to veterinarians. Um, in, a, in a perfect world, your veterinarian would come out to your coop and would make an assessment. Um, but in a non-perfect world, you know, people have to bring their chickens into their veterinary hospital. And um, when they do that, you know, if, they're, if, they're, if the problem is bumblefoot, for example, it's really important for the veterinarian to kind of figure out, okay, is the bump, what's the source of the bumblefoot? Because um, birds just don't get bumblefoot on their own. And as a source, like, are we dealing with an issue with the design or the material that was used in the nesting bar? Or are we dealing with the problem of ammonia, for example? I guess it would be safe to say this when you're talking all of this and things go through my brain here and um I guess if you a scenario to kind of paint a picture if you had that um a soccer mom in suburbia who had the beautiful lush green backyard and she had a really nice chicken tractor and she was very um meticulous about regardless what the weather is every single day moving that one rotation through her entire backyard um she would probably, I guess it would make sense, have a much less instance of, of dealing with the effects of, of ammonia because she's, she's got a fresh bed of bedding, that grass in that run for that coop every single day. Or if somebody, say, maybe free ranges, you know, the chickens are out at the crack of dawn and, and they go back into this particular coop at night and they go up on their roost, yeah, there'll be the collection of, of waste underneath those roosts. And then at the night and the day they head on out, may see less uh, effects, say, of, of uh, ammonia issues, then again, someone who has that backyard where they have the 6 by 8 coop, and then they have that attached 8 by 15 run or 8 by 12 run next to it, and that's essentially the only space that those chickens see. I guess it make, that would be, a, I guess, a safe assumption, wouldn't it, in those scenarios? 
No, I agree. I mean, I, I think it, so if I understand your question, you're, you're saying, you know, how common is this problem in, you know, most of the backyard worlds where they're where the environment is is probably not as conducive to supporting ammonia production, um, and it's it's kind of kind of get moved around. Um, just by normal ventilation and the birds spending half their day inside, half their day outside. Um, and I think um, I think you're right. I, I get enough. I'd say, you know, of all the calls I get every month or so from backyarders in California and kind of the western states and beyond, I, I'd say I get one or two calls out of the maybe ten calls I receive. Uh, maybe one or two calls every every two months or so. So it's something that pops up, but it's not the first and foremost kind of thing that pops up. But but it does right. pop up, and it and maybe it's because you know the 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 when, especially this time of year, you do get these um, spikes in ammonia production a little more because of you know human behavior, because of the birds' behavior. Sure. Um, and and the one thing I have no, noticed when it comes to backyard birds though is that the ventilation in the houses is usually really poor. So even though they're not spending much time in there, even though there's not a lot of buildup of manure, which is one of the precursor ingredients to, um, along with the litter, to get that bacterial breakdown to form um, ammonia, even though we don't have a lot of that, we don't have very good ventilation in a lot of those coops. Um, we might have a window, but the window has glass on it. We don't have any air inlets at the eaves of the of the coops or anything like that. So there isn't the best ventilation in there. Um okay. and it's important for people to kind of try to optimize that. I think I think where people start running into problems is that they have a hole in the roof, there's some litter material in there, there is a leak in the roof, and then that's when you start getting this, you know, you've gone from this okay. nice environment to to a slightly more, you know, kind of toxic environment, if you will. Um, and, and, and that's where, you know, in the commercial world, we talk about creating negative pressure in the, in the, in the house itself. And by creating negative pressure with fans, um, with exhaust fans, then we can bring that outside air. That outside air then is going gonna, is gonna to be sucked into the house, and you're going to create this kind of circular airflow. Um, and you can do that really effectively um, when you create this negative pressure. It's a little harder to do that in these, you know, coops that are, um, um, designed and built, you know, with all kinds of different, you know, kind of factors right. in there. So in that scenario, and you, you want to make sure also you're keeping predators out also. So, I, you know, I don't want anyone to kind of listen to this and say, well, I'm going to open up my doors all night long now. That would be the worst <laughs> possible thing. Or my windows all night long, and we're going to have rodents and stuff in there. So, you know, there's this balancing act that we have to think about. So if we are going to put, you know, some kind of ventilation in the house, we need to make sure that we're using um, some kind of appropriate type of uh, fencing, like hardware cloth, to make yeah. sure that, sure, we're allowing air to come in at the eaves of the house, but we're not just having a, a gap there, right, where we're not mice and birds and things like that can come in there. So that's really important. It's also important, don't put a fan, and we've talked about this a little before, you know, and say, okay, we need ventilation, so I'm going to put a fan right at the level of the birds. Birds actually don't like air being blown on them, especially chicks. Um, so, you know, we think about chicks um, and birds in general, food, water, and temperature. Those are the big three that we want to kind of optimize. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the temperature and the air kind of go hand in hand with each other. So it's really important to, if you are going to try to put some kind of fan to move the air in some kind of fashion, it doesn't have to be this nice, beautiful laminar flow systems that we have in these huge, you know, 100-meter um, um, poultry barns, but 
you can certainly put, you know, um, like I said, you can open up some eaves or, or, or have some windows um, that are open, but also have that hardware cloth to protect from any mice or other predators or uh, wildlife from getting in. And, um, you know, that just air in those, you know, 10 or in those like 50 square foot or 100 square foot pace spaces, you probably don't need a fan um, unless you had a lot of moisture in there. Um, so having some air get in there is really important in the evening when the birds are in there. In the day, you, could, you should be able to open up that door or have some kind of door open to ventilate. Right. But I think in the evening, the one thing I've seen is that when I talk to people on the phone is that they'll typically, it'll be wintertime, they'll have some rain come in uh, from a hole. They won't have good ventilation in the evening, and that's when it'll kind of lead to this kind of um, some of these issues, whether it's a respiratory disease, that's the first thing, whether there's some kind of uh, a foot pad dermatitis issue, whether there's some kind of ulceration of their corneas and their birds are going a little blind. Those are usually the things that kind of contribute to this kind of uh, big picture ventilation issue. But we just want to make sure that we're thinking not just about ventilation and, and then disregarding biosecurity um, with respect to predators and wildlife or disregarding, um, you know, bird welfare with respect to you know, putting a fan at the bird's level. Um, so we want to move the air probably a foot off the ground, a foot and a half off the ground. Um, and then if we can move that air just a little, just by having a window with some hardware cloth um, on it, I know it's not as aesthetically pleasing. It makes our coops a little look like prisons a little. Um, but if we can do that, if we can just have some air that just kind of flows in there, the nights are always windier than the days typically. So if we can do those type of things, I think that that's um, that's a that's a that's a big step forward as far as just preventing this. And as we said before, the most important thing with poultry, especially. We don't have a lot of cures for foot pad dermatitis, right? We do have antibiotics and things like that, but getting the antibiotics at the levels we need it in the feed is really hard. Corneal ulcers, you know, we, we don't have cures for that in poultry. Um, the respiratory infections and diseases and problems that we get in chicks, there's no cure for that. So this is really where we don't want to get to that point because um, we, we want to think about prevention. And prevention is really just about having some ventilation, and it's about litter management, uh, making sure our litter is uh, good quality. It's not too moist. When you pick up the litter, um, you should be able to pick it up and, and form it into kind of a ball, and it should crumble really easily. If it's really wet and you can crumble it into the equivalent of a snowball and throw it at, at, at a wall, um, then, then that's way too wet. If it's if on the other side, if if your litter material is very dry, that's not good for the birds or for you or your kids. So there are you know air quality issues you want to think about. And this is not just a, ammonia is not just a kid it's not just a bird issue. It's also a you know a, um, a public health issue also because we do spend some uh, a decent amount of time in our mm -hmm. coops. Now everything that you've described so far about bedding. And, and long-time listeners, this is no surprise because we've 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 talked about this a lot with bedding and coops and runs and also in brooders, and it's also in um, the chicken fact or chicken poop book that you are a major contributor in. But um, so far during this entire show, it sounds like again we found kind of another negative to using sand as as bedding in the coop. You, it's not absorbent. It's not soft. You can't form it into that ball. It's you know um, it, it can stick to the chickens' feet when they then jump up to the roost, and then now they're 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 sliding or twisting their feet on that roost when they fly up there with sand particles on their feet, and of course 
you think you go to the beach and you put your hand in the sand and then grab a wooden dowel, grab it really tight and twist your hand, that can cause abrasions and over time that can lead to that bumble foot. So uh, again, so far in, in all of this show, we, we've uh, everything you've described about bedding, uh, it kind of leans again to more a, a negative effect for using sand in your coop, which is over the last couple of three years has become a, for whatever reason, a popular choice with some backyarders. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think the sand is, is probably almost like a um, people thinking that like cat litter is, is very similar right. to sand. They should be able to use the same kind of um, material potentially. But I, I agree, sand sand is not uh, is not ideal um, as far as um, all the other options that, that people have, and probably a little harder to work with too. But I think some people that use sand almost treat it like a litter box, which um, I, right. I don't think you need to do that actually. Yeah. If you if you effectively use your your rice holes or your chopped up um, um, wood shavings, um, you shouldn't have to change the litter at all, really, as long as you're not having anything significant with respect to, to rain events, for example. Right. Actually, yeah, I agree. And we, we use that example, you know, as using that sand as a litter box with someone who has time every single day to go out and meticulously scoop those little individual um, uh, mounds of poop from those birds, I mean, every single day. And um, and, and I think that's, again, the, the point they're trying to accomplish with, with that. I agree. So um, it's been about 25 minutes, believe it or not, since our last break. So let me go ahead and get this uh, squeeze in this second commercial break. And then when we come back, <laughs> we will have uh, Dr. Pateski continue with the negative effects of ammonia and uh, wrap it up. So we're going to break. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. 
Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Uh, one of the reasons why this topic for me today is so um, interesting um, is that literally for the last maybe year and a half uh, on the farm here, we've been doing really extensive uh, studies uh, uh, using odor control products. Um, we've been using, you just heard their commercial, Sweet PDZ for well over a decade, um, long before the podcast was around, long before, and the podcast has been around for 10 years, 11 years, um, long before they were sponsor. We've been using that, uh, of course, in our coops and in our rabbit hutches and um, everywhere else, hogs and everything else. So, so we've used the Sweet PDZ to try to eliminate that, that ammonia odor as well. So we've, we've been testing that here along with the Chick Fresh that we've been testing for about 18 months now. And we tested it before it became on the market. And then we've been testing a odor control shavings that's actually not even on the market yet. We've been testing that for almost two years because they keep changing and developing it to make it the best it can be. Um, it was a little bit too fine. The shavings were too fine. The, the first samples we got, uh, and then they were they were using a different um, odor and ammonia um, control, um, I guess, ingredient. Then they made the shavings bigger and they changed it. They started actually infusing the um, uh, shavings with this ammonia control and odor control uh, ingredient, and we've used we've used that on many occasions in, in coops. To, to, to try to see. And then we measure the days and what our eyes and our nose see. Uh, we even did a study, which was really fascinating as well. We called it the triple whammy, where we used all three. We said, okay, th- we're getting, we just use good old standard, plain old pine wood sh- shavings from tractor supply. Uh, so we made sure that the, the medium was all the same based on all these different odor control sh- uh, products we used, unless we were using those odor control shavings. But then we did the triple whammy where we actually put down a nice layer of sweet PDZ on the coop floor. And then we put in the odor control shavings on top of that, several inches. And then every single day we went out to collect the eggs, uh, we would spray that with the coop fresh and, and see if we could get, you know, what, how, if we're using all three of these products, how long before our nose uh, tells us we need to, we need to change this bedding out. So we're, we're all, at least over the last 18 months, we are knee deep in this, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> in these negative effects of ammonia and try to how to eliminate that. And a lot of companies over the last two years have been just um, really developing a lot of different ways to help uh, the small flock keeper deal with the uh, not just the ammonia but the odor um, and we've tested <laughs> I think we've tested them all here so all this is uh, extra fascinating for me uh, today so um, thanks for bearing with me and all the, the questions I've had for Dr. Pateski um, it's uh, we're gonna we're gonna turn it back over to Doc and we're gonna let him kind of uh, make sure on his outline he's completed everything he wanted to convey to us I'll see if I have any other questions <laughs> on on my list here and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. We want to make sure Dr. Pateski has all the time he needs to um, finish, especially the important things he wanted to get across to us during the show today. Doc? 
Yeah, well, I think we're we're kind of in lockstep today because the last thing I was going to mention was I wanted to talk a little about some of the litter treatments that you can use that will actually okay. reduce ammonia emissions. Great. Um, so uh, these are used very often in the commercial industry, um, and, and they're used for all kinds of reasons. I mean, sometimes it is, you know, in California we have um, – We've had some pretty bad droughts in the last decade or so, so we don't have as much rice production. If we don't have as much rice production, we don't have as many rice holes. If we don't have as many rice holes, it's really hard to change out your litter, um, even if you did have some ammonia issues. So um, some producers will add some of these um, um, chemicals to their litter to um, basically what they end up doing is they end up just increasing the pH of the litter and by decreasing the by increasing the ph of the litter um um excuse me by decreasing the ph of the litter thinking backwards by decreasing the litter of the ph you end up um reducing the amount of ammonia um so you can actually increase the amount of of nitrous oxide that ends up being produced which is which is harmless for 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 the birds and for our health um, so there are some 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 commercial products and you kind of mentioned them and i'm not going to go into all the different products um, sure. and, and advantages and disadvantages, but but I think for for our purposes, you know, I I, I kind of wanted to mention this last because I didn't think it was the most important thing that for people to focus uh-huh. on. Um, but but would there be a scenario potentially where you know someone wasn't able to get a hold of litter at all? They still had their litter. It was a little wetter than they wanted it to be. They had an ammonia issue. In that scenario, sure, you know, we could certainly talk about. Um, using some of those types of materials, but um, the the first and foremost thing that I you know want people to kind of remember is just to think about the ventilation issue. Um, so how can they you know redesign their coop, um, cut a window in there, and put some hardware cloth just to allow some natural airflow? Make sure during the day that they're opening it up, um, getting some um, air ventilation that way, and then just um, managing their litter material as best as possible. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, we don't use litter at all. We just have a dirt pad, for example. And that's fine. It's not ideal because now you don't have that, that, that manure itself is not getting broken down. It's not getting decomposed at all. There's no carbon in there. So you're not going through any kind of composting process. Um, from a behavioral and welfare perspective, the birds do like that litter material. It kind of gives them something to entertain themselves when they're kind of rototilling that litter material. It's not the end of the world. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of don't make uh, perfect the enemy of good. Good is great. Um, it's not perfect, but it's, if you're doing a good job, then you're, you're doing a better job than, than a lot of people. So if you don't have litter material and things are going fine and you don't have any of those um, – ulcerations or cuts on the feet or the hocks um, and your birds seem happy and healthy, then, then, you know, then maybe there's not, you know, you, you have, you know, a handful of birds in a, in a wide open space and the birds are, are making everything work. So in that scenario, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to, to tell you, well, you need to have litter here um, or else you're going to have this problem and this problem. If you haven't had those problems for months or years, then it, it's, I, I'm not going to, you know, as the saying goes, don't, don't, don't break it. Um, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and uh, right. um, I certainly follow that that recommendation there. But but I think the the ventilation issue is is, is really important to talk about. Um, and this is really important for people that are going to hatch their own chicks. Um, chicks are so fragile for the first week or two, and however they're raised, that first week or two is so important with how they're going to do for the rest of their life um, their lifespan. So um, at the beginning, um, investing in you know all the right um, types of uh, accoutrements to make sure your chicks are healthy with respect to brooding lamps, 
um, and um, you know the temperature and making sure that you do have litter material um, there um, for, for the chicks is actually really really important. As they get older, they get a little more um, self-sufficient, but but uh, at a younger age, I can't stress how important it is to manage ammonia um, at, at at a young age. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I, I, I always, when we're talking about these, say, odor control products, odor control sprays, or the Sweet PDZ, like I said, the, the Sweet PDZ works totally different scientifically than the, say, the Chick Fresh odor control spray, and um, so they work differently. You, you can use them both. We use them both here. Or you can use one or the other, whichever best works for you. But I completely agree. I follow all that up when we're talking about odor control in my videos when we're testing this stuff. Is that this is no, this is not a product for you to be lazy but and say well i'm not going to clean my coop like i should i'm not going to pay exactly. attention to ammonia i'm not going to so yeah it's just another it's a tool to help um uh, eliminate some of the effects of ammonia and, and make things smell a little bit better for you when you're out there your guests coming over or what, whatever they may whatever it may be but um yeah always it's, it's this is not a excuse not to have good husbandry practices good biosecurity like you said and, and fixing that leak where you've got water blow in or whatever or ventilation we always stress ventilation even in the wintertime and i think that's we'll stress that one more time here because it's upon us um that in, in the wintertime again it's e equally if not more important to have that good ventilated coop no drafts but ventilation and how I personally kind of d d differentiate between because people will say, well, wow, no, no, no drafts, but good ventilation. How, what, what, what gives? How do, you, how do you explain that one, Andy? And I'm like, you know, for the most part, I'll say, you know, go out to your coop uh, after dark, after your chickens have gone to roost with a flashlight and look at them while they're up on that roost. And if their feathers are moving, well, guess what? That's a draft. Find out where that draft's coming from, block it off. And that means you may have to uh, create more ventilation somewhere else uh, to continue having good air exchange and good ventilation, but you don't want that draft. And I also, I'm so glad you said it again uh, on the show. Because uh, it helps me when you and Dr. McRae and, and all, everybody else comes on and says these things. I'm like, ah, okay, good. It reassures me that I've been sharing the right information yeah. with everybody about the fan, about the fans. Like, no, you don't want a fan on your birds all night long. I mean, it's just not, not going to be good for them. It's not healthy for them. If you put a fan in there, a smaller fan, you know, above, below, whatever, but just not constantly on them all day. I mean, all night long because it, it still gets it gets cool at night, and they have that cold breeze uh, on them all all night long. So I'm so glad you you mentioned that in the in the show today too, so I can continue to reassure people about that uh, tidbit of information. Yep, no, I I completely agree. It's nice when we all agree on something, which uh, in science we 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 love to disagree with each other. <laughs> Even when we agree with each other, we love to disagree. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's absolutely true, isn't it? So, um, well, thanks for another great show. Fascinating for me because of this last year and a half or so, we've been doing all this odor control product testing from the shavings to everything like that. So it's it's great. And then, of course, I didn't even, I'll be the first one to say, I didn't think about it being tis the season when you first came on and said, it's tis the season. We're starting to get into the colder and winter months. And this this where I see a lot of phone calls and see this more often than maybe when, when I was thinking, maybe in the hot summer months when, when we see this. So thanks for um, uh, sharing that with us as well. That that, nev that never entered my thought process before the show. So, But thanks for coming on as always, and we will see you again next month. I can't believe the next time you come on, it'll be a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. But thanks, Dr. Pateski, for coming on. Thanks for sharing all the great information with us today. 
Great. Thanks again, Andy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, okay, we're going to wrap it up. What a great show, The Negative Effects of uh, Ammonia. And uh, continue to follow the show. I got a phone call uh, this week from somebody who is interested in being a, a sponsor with uh, Chicken Whisperer LLC. And they said, you know, I, I absolutely uh, love your podcast. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, it is informative. It is educational. It is enjoyable. Uh, you've got humor involved in there a little bit. Yeah, we hear laughing. But but most of all, we, we love the fact-based, science-based, study-based information that, that your guests share every single episode. So uh, we hope you uh, will continue to listen every Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, live. And then, of course, we do the podcast a few minutes after the show ends. So if you tuned in late today, no worries. You'll be able to listen to the podcast in full here in just a few minutes. So we, uh, we're we glad you're listening. Also, go over and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Just go to Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Uh, dot com and uh let me see here we go and um it's, it's free to subscribe to the digital edition we'll email it to you four times every single year if you want the print edition uh it's 9.95 a year and dr Pateski is one of our regular contributors for that as well as uh poultry scientist dr mccray as well as poultry scientist um zach williams so uh, thanks for tuning in today we'll see you next week right here on blog talk radio uh, This has been Backyard Poultry with The Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.